Um, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. We've actually been in this series since April, I believe. And um, we've been just going through it line by line. And sometimes we go through books of the Bible. Actually, most of the time we go through books of the Bible. Other times we'll go through topics and see what the Bible has to say about certain things. Um, but for now, we're in the Gospel of Mark. Mark offers something new, something really for everyone, whether you're seeking or whether you're just kind of, I don't know, just floundering in your faith or whether you are a seasoned believer and uh, wherever that you are in your journey, um, Mark offers something to you. We are undercut by universalism and by philosophies that there are multiple ways to Jesus, that there is a progressivism movement that is leaking into the church. And so that Jesus was perhaps the socialist and that Jesus is inclusive and that you can, you know, everybody makes it no matter what you do, no matter what's your decision. But the gospel of Mark, and what I love about this book is that he makes Jesus perfectly clear and he's going to give us a lot of clarity on who Jesus is and who is the Christ and what it means to follow Jesus. Today, we're in Mark chapter 8 towards the, the last part of, I almost said bladder part of it, that's weird. Um, and so this is the dividing point in Mark's gospel. Everything has kind of led up to this pivotal moment, and everything from here is going to flow out of this moment. We're, we're being addressed with a couple of questions who, who do people say that the Christ is? Or, or rather, who do we say that Jesus is? And then we make this question, or rather Jesus makes this question individualistic, and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And so there, there stands before us a question, and your soul depends on how you answer that very one question. It is what I would suggest the most important question that you will ever be asked in your life. And the question is, who is Jesus? Not who your mama thinks Jesus is, not who your neighbor thinks Jesus is, but who is Jesus to you? So Mark Peter is going to be uh, the answer source uh, of this. And, and he's going to look like such the star-studded student for one moment. And then the next, he's going to be called Satan. So this is really interesting. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Now, Jesus is making his trek back to Jerusalem. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am. And they told him, well, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, you're one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, oh, you're the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them, well, that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. <laughs> and old Peter took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but one the things 
but on the things of men. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But whoever would save his life and lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does a man profit to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of God also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Uh, One more time, let us go before the Lord and ask him to bless the reading of God's word. God, thank you so much, Lord, that we are here and that we have heard your word, that some of us may be looking and maybe listening and searching for some kind of uh, revelation or some kind of um, word from you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you just spoke through your word and you used my fallible lips to do so, God. I pray, Lord, that when we leave here, we would see Jesus in all of his glory and we'd never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. A few things happening in this passage. The disciples, they finally get a grip on who Jesus is when they proclaim that Jesus, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus kind of goes into this discourse of like what it really means to be the Messiah and what true cost of discipleship really looks like. Jesus gives them this revelation and they don't like it. They don't like nothing else Jesus has to say. This portion in the gospel of Mark, everything from here on out is going to flow from this pivotal moment. This is the moment when the disciples finally connected with the man of Jesus and who he really is, that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. But there is an issue in this text He is the Christ, the son of the living God, as Peter gives in the full statement recorded in Matthew. But there's a confusion about not who Jesus is, but the plan that he has. They affirm Jesus and who he is, but they deny the plan that Jesus lays out to them. From the perspective of Peter and the disciples, the good news was finally understood in the person of Jesus Christ. This is great news because even for every Jew, this is what they have been longing for. Old Testament, new, everything has been pointing. People have been waiting for lifetimes just for this one moment to finally take place that we have the Messiah. We have the Messiah Everything's been pointing to it. The promises of salvation, the expansion of the land, the kingdom of God, the blessing, the prosperity, the earth changing, Israel coming back to its glory, Roman empire finally dismantled. It's finally here. Jesus is here. They had hoped that he would be this Messiah, but there's a huge, huge problem shocking to them when Jesus says, but the son of man must die and suffer and be put on trial and then die. And then three days later, I will rise again. Now you would think that they would have heard that. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. You get to rise again from the dead. Like how awesome would that be? Jesus, that would be how I would lead this conversation, but not Peter. Peter's got an issue. You know, Peter, 
He, he's, the he's the star, he's the spokesman of the disciples. And, he's, and he's, he gets Messiah right, and Jesus is like, good on you, Peter. And so I'm sure, quite sure, I don't know, this may be just conjecture of what is happening in this text. I'm sure, quite sure Peter is feeling a little bullish about himself now. I've got the answer right. Now I'm going to correct Jesus. Can we, just, can we just automatically, we can assume that anytime you want to try to correct Jesus, it's not going to go well for you. You can try to correct him in his word, but in the end, his word will stand. You know what will not stand? You. You can try to correct what's in the Bible, the words of Jesus. You could try to reshape it and make it to something that you think it should have meant because that's way too offensive. But in the end, what will still stand? The word of God. What will not stand? You, my friend. I'm here for all the encouragement. You can tip your waitress. <laughs> Jesus takes him and he, he rebukes him. And it all starts out with this test Jesus gives. Who do... Who do, who do people say that I am? Isn't that an interesting question Jesus asked? Like, well, I, well, shouldn't you know? I mean, aren't you God made flesh? Like, well, like, Jesus, you should know the answer to this question. And Jesus is poking and prying at his disciples, and they give him all these answers. Well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, and that was, you know, that was kind of a, a popular belief, right? Remember just a couple chapters ago when... When John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus in his ministry was kicking off. And Herod says, who is this? John the Baptist has come back to haunt me. So there was a thought that maybe this is John the Baptist, but I don't know. That sounds ridiculous. Well, then, okay, well maybe if that's ridiculous, then the other ridiculous idea is that he's Elijah. You know, he's been dead for hundreds of years. So why not him? That sounds like a good thing. Like let him rise from the dead, right? He looks like a zombie by now. Just Skeletor, just walking around. All right, that dated me way back, all right? And it, well, we, we, that's not plausible. Maybe it's one of the prophets, and they just go on and on and on, and Jesus is like, all right, this is ridiculous. And he, he, he pries into his disciples because everyone had their opinion of Jesus, yet Jesus isn't after the opinions of people on who he is. Jesus is not after on how people will define who he is. Right? We're, we're, we're not, there's only one truth in who Jesus is. And we, we must get that right. Again, eternity, your soul depends on that one question. Who is Jesus? And, and there's so many cultural opinions out there. And, and, and that's just that. It's just an opinion. But there is only one truth to who Jesus is. And he looks at his disciples because hardly anyone has got it up to this point. In fact, only just a, if you've been reading with me in Mark's, just a couple people have got it. And one of those people was the demons. Maybe a couple people that he healed identified him as Lord, right? But so far at this point, we can all agree that the theology of the demons was far better than the theology of the people around Jesus. 
And yet it's so interesting how that has still prevailed in our society. And Jesus locks his eyes with his disciples and he, he asks them, well, who do you say that I am? Because that is the most important question that they, as a disciple and a follower of Christ, will ever be asked. I'm not interested in the opinions of man. I'm not interested in what else uh, everybody else has to say about me. I want to know Peter. I want to know James and John. I want to know Matthew. I want to know Bartholomew. I want to know Philip. I want to know Nathan. What do people or who do you say that I am. Everybody on this planet will have to give an account on that one single question. Who is Jesus? Because eternity is in the balance hanging on the one question. Who is Jesus? Because if you get it right, you get hell. But if you get it right, you get it eternity with Jesus. Common people have answers that to that question. Philosophers, they have answers to that question. Pseudo-scholars and liberal theologians, they have answers to that question. Muslims have answers to that question. Jews have answers to that question. Secularists, they have an answer. Atheists, they have an answer. Humanists, religious people, they have an answer to the question. But the answer to the question, if it's wrong, will condemn you. And we're all exposed to endless books on who is Jesus. Uh, Tons of research, tons of mini series on TV that will try to get you, uh, to lead you to an astray, to lead you to who Jesus ain't, as we say. Led by a demonic assault where they want to purposely lead you to answer that question wrong. Peter connects with the right answer. And I pray that that is our connection too. He confesses exactly what the gospels are demonstrated. He confesses exactly what Jesus's life has demonstrated up to this point that he finally has the realization within his heart that he's not just with a dude that does really cool things. He's not just with a guy walking around with a guy who, who's got some powerful sermons and he even like heals sick people and uses that as a sermon illustration. He's not just with some ordinary person. He's with the Messiah. He's with the Christ. Peter looks at him and says, you are the Christ. What is the Christ? In fact, that's the second time that the word Christ has been used so far in the gospel of Mark. If you remember Mark gospel chapter one, verse one, it says in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now some eight chapters later, we finally get this word here again. We haven't heard it. Christos is the Hebrew word for the anointed one. It's not a name. Jesus, Yeshua, or Jesus is his name. We call him Jesus. He is Jesus, the Christ, the word for anointed that defines he's where he is the promised prophet, priest, and king. He is the king of Israel. He is God's son. He is the Messiah. He is the one that they have been talking about for generations upon generations upon generations. And you got to think there's got to be some kind of struggle and tension within the, the disciples' hearts because Jesus doesn't conform to their preconceived ideas of what this Messiah is supposed to be doing or what this Christ, what this, in, this, this anointed Savior is supposed to do while well, he's supposed to be the conqueror of nations. 
He's supposed to overthrow the nations. He is supposed to bring national freedom and power and blessings and overthrow. <laughs> and it's just like, like talking to little children because the answer to that is yes, he did do that. But it just wasn't in the way that they wanted him to do it. They wanted Jesus with like the AR-15 riding in the tank, you know, right? I ain't got no problem with that kind of Jesus, but that's not what Jesus wanted to do. Because kingdoms fall, Roman Empire collapse, the Persians collapsed, and all of these kingdoms would collapse. But ultimately, there's still an issue that is still needing to be addressed and that is sin and the darkness in the world. And only a true savior, only the true anointed king could come and conquer that. I mean, swords and, and, and wars. I mean, come on, come on. They're, they're ongoing all the time and people are gonna conquer these people. These people are gonna conquer these people and this is gonna go on forever. But no one can conquer sin. No physical battle can conquer sin unless it is be conquered by Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. So he reveals the heart of these disciples. If you watch this, he tells them that he must have to suffer, right? Many things rejected by the elders, rejected by the who's who of religion. And then he's going to be killed. And then he's going to rise again on the third day. And again, I have to just overemphasize this part. I would have been like, eh. Okay, rise again on the third day. I don't care what happens to you before then. Jesus is like, you're going to become the resurrected Lord. But none of that is like being processed. Total victory is not being processed in their minds. The only thing they heard was our Messiah suffer? Our Christ, our King suffer? Be mocked? Be put on a trial? Because no one wants a king who is going to suffer. No one wants a king who is going to be put on trial. No one wants the king who's going to be mocked and brutally beaten and hung on the Roman criminal cross. Peter's like, what? No. Jesus, let me, it's like Jesus tries to teach the Old Testament to Jesus. Peter tries to teach this to Jesus. Peter, gosh, it's almost like you're just, you were there. And then you had to open up your big mouth, right? It's like talking to your spouse sometimes. My spouse isn't in here, so I could say that, right? Like, like you got it. Now, don't say anything. More like your child, right? That may be, that may be a little too deep, right? It's like your child. Like, like just okay, just shut up. Just, just stop right there. Don't say anything. Any more nonsense. But King of Gaff, Peter. No, oh, Jesus. Not only, I think it was Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 16, not only is this not going to happen, if this does happen, we will see to it that it won't happen. Oh, big and bad Pete. Thinks he's got, he thinks he's onto something. <laughs> and you know, if I were, 
And it's a really good thing I'm not Jesus. But if I were Jesus, I would just be like, fool, you are the biggest moron on the planet. But Jesus does something a little far worse than that. He looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, what? Did Jesus just call Peter the father of lies? Satan himself? Was there some kind of weird transfiguration that just took place that we didn't see in the text that Jesus is like, whoa, Satan all of a sudden is here. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is rebuking Peter for the message of Satan. He's rebuking the message of Satan. Listen, and this, this may stretch some of us if I can this morning. Satan had no problem with, with Jesus being king. Okay? Think back, if you can, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, when Satan tempts Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, Satan goes to Jesus and he's like, he takes him to a very high mountain and he shows him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said... All of these I will give you as if Satan owned it. I will, if you fall down and worship me. Satan had no problem with Jesus being a king. Satan had a problem with Jesus fulfilling the plan of God. Satan's issue is with Jesus defeating sin. Satan had a problem with death being defeated. Satan doesn't want Anyone to get Jesus right. His problem is with Jesus' message and the plan of Jesus and who Jesus really is. That he's not just some small little K king over one little nation, but he is king over death, king over sin, and he's gonna he's gonna defeat all of those things. That's the problem Satan has. So Satan comes into Peter's mind and he's and he's given him the theology of the demons. We don't we don't have a problem with who you are. Our biggest problem is what you're about to do to us that Satan is on the threshold of being defeated. That's, that's the problem. Peter's pr- thinking pretty highly of himself and, and, and Jesus comes to humble him. And he, and he, you know what he, you know what Jesus does to Peter? He preaches the cross of Christ. He preaches the cross of Christ and Peter hates that message. Jesus, Jesus sees the lie of Satan filling this guy's head and rebukes him because Satan hates the message of the cross of Christ. Why? Because the cross of Christ is where we will find our freedom. Satan hates that message, but the cross of Christ is where I am hidden from the wrath of God. The cross of Christ is where I am found a new creation. The cross of Christ, I have a future in the cross of Christ. I am redeemed and I am eternally secure and I will be with Jesus forever. That's the message that Jesus preaches to Peter, the cross of Christ. And Satan hates it because he knows through the cross of Christ, sin and death will be defeated and there will be no more of that. And today, it is the same message. 
that Jesus wants to forgive sinners, but Satan hates that message. And so he will do whatever he can do to distort who Jesus is and reframe him into a different type of idea, maybe to make him more palatable or more, or more attractive to the secularist. To, to, to have a message and an offensive message that you are a sinner But through the cross of Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. Satan hates that message and will do and did everything he could at this moment to distort who Jesus is and is still trying to distort who Jesus is so that we can't come to the cross of Christ and bring about our sin and he forgives us. And all of that is through the cross of Christ. And that is the huge question for us today that I must present to you. And I must sound like I'm on repeat, but I have to because it has such eternal consequences. And if you get this right, you get eternity with Jesus. But if you get this wrong, your soul is at risk of being damned. Who is Jesus? Is he a created being? Well, John chapter one, verse three would say that all things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Colossians 1, 16 would say, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and he was before all things and in him all things hold together that Jesus Christ is the active agent of all creation. He is not a created being. He is the creator. He is the active agent of creation. Is he a little g God? Well, there's only one God according to Old Testament thought. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. Where have we heard that before? Oh, it was Revelation chapter 1 when Jesus comes before John in the Isle of Patmos and he tells him, I am the first and I am the last. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. The one talked about in Isaiah chapter 44 is the one speaking in Revelation chapter one to John. In Isaiah chapter 45, he says, I am the Lord and there is no one beside me. Besides me, there is no God. I am the Lord and there is no other. And then when Jesus steps into the scene, particularly I think about the gospels of John, when he gives us the I am statements and he, and he comes out to the temple as they are celebrating with candles and lights. And in John chapter eight, he says, I am the light of the world. He uses this tetrachromaton, the I am statements, the ego I me, the one that said that I am in the burning little bush thing that spoke to, to Moses or whatever his name is. Jesus is using the same language. I am. I'm the one that was talking to Mo. And I, I, I'm the one talking. I am the light of the world. I am the Messiah. If Jesus uses such strong language as, as I am the light of the world, everyone would have heard exactly what he said. It was his claim of deity. 
They, they would have heard Psalm 27.1. The psalmist says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And in John 1, 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus is claiming quite staggeringly that he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And that's his message. Who is Jesus to you? I don't know if like talking about hell a second ago made it like really hot in here. But man, it's like y'all stop breathing for like 10 minutes. It'll cool off in here. Pick it back up in verse 34. If anyone would come after me, because watch what happens. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life and lose it, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does a man profit to gain the world and forfeit his whole soul? For what can give a man in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, of my words, and this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with his holy angels? Hey, what is Jesus saying here? Deny yourself, lose your life, drink the Kool Aid. Doesn't that sound like a little Jim Jonas to anyone? And one of the, when John, I believe it is in John's, John chapter 12, he's like, whoever will, 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 will just, just brute language, die to yourself. Like what in the Jim Jones is Jesus doing here? It seems so, this seems like such a stretch for someone to say, deny yourself, lose yourself. Here's what Jesus requires of him. You, you get Jesus right this is what he requires of you. That you stop being the king of your life. Notice what just happened. They identified Jesus for who he is as the Messiah, as the Christ. And now Jesus is saying, all right, you ready for this? You're not the Messiah of your life. You are not the Christ. You are not the holy and anointed one of your life. So stop living like it. You know, we all think Jesus is so nice, and yeah, he is. He's a kind person. He's so grace-filled. This is such strong language, Jesus. Is, please don't mistake this. Please don't misread that. Like, Jesus is using such strong language. Like, you have got, you want to follow me? Like, you get who I am? Realize you're not the Christ. You deny yourself of that responsibility of being the Messiah in your storyline. You have to strip yourself of being the center of the universe where you are the star-studded actor in your playbook. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. This is what it looks like. When people realize who I am, this is how they will follow me. This is self-denial. This is you denying sin. This is you denying your sinful lifestyle. This is you denying all of those things that the world is saying, yeah, it's good, it's okay, just do you, boo. Like you listen to your own heart. Like all those things that the world's trying to tell you to do. Jesus is like, no, you deny yourself, even deny yourself from sinful pleasures. Deny yourself from the world of sin. And then giving, this is, a, this is also a giving up of your independence. 
Now, I know that one's like really like, whoa, preacher, this is America, right? Like this is like the land of the free, home of the brave, this is the independence. We celebrate independence. Why would I want to give up my independence? Because that's what Jesus is after. He, he is after you giving up your lifestyle. You saying, I'm going my way. And Jesus is like, no, you'll go my way. This is also a call to bear the cross of Christ with him in his suffering. Again, I, I don't want to belabor it, but like it's just, it just seems so counterculture, especially in our churches, that the message of Jesus would be suffering. That before he was conqueror, he was the sufferer. Surely these disciples would not hear to Isaiah 53, or that he was wounded for our trespasses. He was bruised for our iniquities and the trespassment of our, the peace was upon him. Like, like surely they would have just kind of wanted to omit that part of the Old Testament where Jesus would be the suffering servant before he would be the conquering king over sin. And now watch what Jesus does with that message. He invites those of us who are followers of Christ, who have identified Jesus for who he is. He tells you, realize that there will be suffering in your life. You want to follow me? And just think about who he's talking to. He's talking to these 12 men and, and maybe others, but, but 11 of these 12... they would go on to such suffering that it would lead to their death in most cases where they would be beheaded or, or speared to death or they would be boiled alive or, or whatever. Like these guys, when, I'm, I'm quite sure when these things were happening in their life, they, they said to themselves, Jesus said this would happen. And if I want to participate in the glory of Jesus Christ, if I want to participate in the glory of eternity, then I also must have to participate in the suffering of this life. And then there's also an evidence of obedience to this because Jesus says, do all these, follow me. And then the massive warning in this, the cost of not following Jesus, the cost of not knowing who Jesus is. Like he will be ashamed of you on the day of judgment. Like, wow, doesn't this sound like hellfire and brimstone day at Refuge City Church? but damned to be my soul if I don't preach the full counsel of the word of God. Amen. Hear the word of Jesus. Know him. Know him in his resurrection. Know him as king of your life. Know him where he is the authority and not you. Lest you find him as judge Jesus on the day of judgment and he condemns you. I don't want to be condemned by judge Jesus. I want God to see me and not even me as the scriptures will say that he would see the righteousness of Christ that was imputed upon me at the moment of my salvation. One final thought on this and I'll be out of the way. Peter wanted Jesus to be the superstar Messiah without the suffering and the pain. That's exactly what the prosperity message wants you. It's exactly the message of the prosperity gospel. You're supposed to have health and wealth and all of these great things. And if you just, you know, you give this and if you do this, then God does this. 
you know, God is obligated to do this. He is obligated to give you the Rolls Royce, if anybody even likes those kind of cars anymore. He's obligated to give you the fancy house and the, the, the most beautiful, attractive spouse on the planet. He is obligated to do this. No message and no thought of suffering, none of this in that message. But if you want the real Jesus, you have to realize that the suffering servant endured great hardship via the cross of Christ. And he invites you into that suffering. And he says, listen, if you want to be my follower, you get to be, you, you, you identify who I am. There will be, con- there will be suffering And I don't think we're like at the point of the disciples where their life would be laid on the line. But I do think that we are at other points. Maybe family will, will, maybe family doesn't like you anymore. Maybe people will shut you out of friend groups or conversations because, oh, you're one of those. I would rather be one of those. For me to enter into the kingdom and Jesus say to me, welcome my good and faithful servant. Now, my last question, what, all right, so we, we hound on poor Peter. Peter got like rebuked by God in the flesh and was called Satan. Like, how's that for like a boost to your morale? I mean, like you're like somebody serious is like, man, you ain't nothing but the devil. Like, I'm going to do a little soul searching, right? I mean, I hope if like, if, if like you're known as being the Satan in the community, that's nothing you should be, you should be parading around. I'm the wicked witch in my neighborhood. Cross me, boo. Can I, can I help you? Nobody likes you. Find freedom in Christ. Jesus is calling Peter Satan. What happened to Peter? Peter, Jesus is calling his disciples into suffering. What happened to them? Did he finally realize that the message of Jesus would come at a great cost? In 1 Peter 1 verse 2, beloved, do not be surprised. This is Peter's words. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That is like how refreshing is it when finally somebody gets it right? Peter's like, I remember the words of Jesus and when he rebuked me and called me Satan. And now I see it as a reality that I rejoice in my sufferings, knowing that I'm rejoicing because I am, I am suffering with Christ. I am sharing Christ's suffering and I will rejoice because I will be in glory with him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. 